I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series called Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at, at First, first listen. listen. This season... We're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...scams a bunch of famous athletes out of untold fortunes... Nearly $10 million was all gone. It's just unbelievable. Hide your money in your old rich man, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. School of Humans. Hello, welcome to Cadaver Gals, the podcast where we talk about all the ways people have died to cope with our own mortality. In case you were wondering, Nika is not afraid of herself. I I am not or I am. You're not afraid of yourself. No, I'm you not just because, yeah, because I make the ring sound really well, but I've never watched the ring. If I watched the ring, I would be scared of myself. And I don't want to, you know, accuse of plagiarism, but I've been doing that sound since I was a little girl. So I don't know. I, I feel like there's some rights that we have to go through. Maybe there's some money that I can sue for. We'll figure it out. Maybe. Um, what was wrong with you as a baby that you're making that sound? <laughs> Nothing. I just like playing with my vocal cords. Do you want to hear it? Yeah, I guess you have to do it now. Okay. It also really works because I have long black hair right now. And when I come out of the shower, I do it to my partner and they laugh because they don't, they like horror movies. Okay, listen. Uh... So good. So yeah, good. That's pretty good. <laughs> Thank All right, you. so by now you should know I am Taylor, your host, along with Nika, who did a scary sound, and Gabby. Ah, uh, that wasn't as good. Um, so today we're going to talk about how famous cowboys die and deathly treasure hunts. Today's trigger warnings are gunshots, gunfights, drowning, hanging, etc. Cue the music. <laughs> Okay, as usual, we did our own versions of the music ourselves from our mouths. Um, So let's go ahead and dive right into these cowboys, Gabby. 
Okay. Well, I wouldn't. He's. I guess he's a cowboy. He is the a wild west sort of dude. Cowboy adjacent. He's cowboy adjacent. I would um, like to dive into a cowboy. You know uh, what I mean? Uh, <laughs> save a whore ride a cowboy. <laughs> uh, save a whore ride a cowboy. Save a horse, but in the south, you know, sometimes they don't say yeses. So, okay, but okay, save a whore ride a cowboy. Okay, so we're going to July 1876, and this is when Wild Bill Hickok rode his horse into Deadwood. Yeah. Yeah, I watched that TV show recently, and that's why I'm doing this story. Uh, but Deadwood was a gold miner town where a few years prior to 1876, a bunch of gold had been found in the crick. So then a bunch of people moved out there to search for gold. So it was kind of like a hodgepodge of ruffians, outlaws, saloon runners, loose ladies and gents, and Ooh. people of all sorts looking to drink, gamble, bang, and find some gold. What a time. some loose ladies. Also, I hate the word crick. In the crick. I kind of I mean, like it. Do you want me to say creek? Is that triggering for you to say crick? No, it's fine. I just think it's a crick. It's just funny. But yeah, I love it. Great group of people, you know? Yeah. Um, so it was truly a lawless place because it wasn't the United States hadn't, you know, taken it from the Native Americans yet. Um, and it's located in what is current day South Dakota. OK. Got it. We're there. Yeah. And so Wild Bill Hickok, he's one of the most famous dudes in the Wild West. Basically, if you just like imagine any sort of stereotype and that applies to him, he was like a gunslinger, a gambler. He would shoot people. He was a sheriff, a horseman. He was also, he had tried to do like a show that was similar to Buffalo Bill's like Wild West show, but his show failed. But then Buffalo Bill was like, hey, Wild Bill, Buffalo Bill, Wild Bill, two different bills. He was like, you could be an actor in my show. Apparently, Wild Bill was not a very good actor. Oh, that's um, funny. And his acting career might have led him to, you know, drinking a little bit more. But yeah, his favorite thing of, of those things, it seemed like he was really into gambling. That was kind mm. of one of his favorite things to do. So he would go into a saloon and he would just be gambling the day away and he was good at it. Though an interesting thing about him was that he was a Union soldier and then also his parents were abolitionist and his home growing up was part of the Underground Railroad. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, you know? it's kind of hot. Yeah, that's hot as hell. Um, yeah, like if a guy told me, yay, like my parents are abolitionists, you know, my house is in the Underground Railroad, I'd be like, uh, okay, okay. Did he have a lover like in Brokeback Mountain? Yeah, he had lots of ladies. I mean, not like a gay one, but oh, that's sad. I mean, he okay. might have. I don't know. I mean, they didn't write that down because a lot of the shit about him is like very exaggerated and it's become very like folktale legend type stuff. So he could have had a man lover, but he did have lots of, you know, various ladies throughout his life. And he did eventually get married to this woman who had kind of been like a fangirl of his and who had like followed him around on his various adventures. That's and cute. then. Yeah, and then they eventually got married, and then he went to Deadwood. But yeah, he was very much like his reputation was the stuff of legend. So when he was coming into Deadwood, a lot of people thought that, you know, he had killed over 100 people. Though I think history has found that there were only able to prove that he actually killed six people. Uh, six? Not Just 100. Six? I know. <laughs> what? Fucking pussy, right? Literally. <laughs> what the heck? So there's this author, James William Buell. 
and he wrote this book called The Life and Marvelous Adventures of Wild Bill, the Scout, being a true and exact history of all the combats and hair breath escapes of the most famous scout and spy America ever produced. It's a very long title. But in it, he kind of like painted Wild Bill as this like really compassionate, nice dude. He loved, you know, hanging out with kids. He was really humble. There was this one like sort of, you know, big fight that Wild Bill was in and he got shot, you know, supposedly 11 times. But when the doctor was removing his bullets, Bill just kept on kept asking about all the other people who had shot at him to like make sure they were okay, you know, just like he wants to be worried. Yeah, he was worried about them. Bill also, he claimed to be a clairvoyant. So, you know, he said he was surrounded by spirits who gave him the fearlessness that preceded him. So, you know, that's great. And he could kind of like sense the future. But I think that's mostly just because he was a fatalist. He said that he would die with his boots on, uh, you know, meaning that he he knew someone was going to get him one time, you know. And like, but by the time that he had reached Deadwood, he had sent a letter to his wife that said he would die in this place. It was very dramatic. Gabby, I feel like you and him would have vibed so well, you know? Maybe. I don't know. He seemed, he seemed a little wild, obviously wild Wild Bill. Bill. (laughs) (laughs) No, really? (laughs) I mean, I feel like I'm kind of a little bit more subdued than wild Bill. You know, I don't know if I take as much initiative as he does. We know opposites Wild Bill and subdued gaps. <laughs> Wild Bill and subdued Gabby. Oh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect pair. Perfect pair. But yeah, along his way to Deadwood, he met Calamity Jane, who is another, you know, character within this sort of legendary space. And she was also a gunslinger who is said to have killed a bunch of people. And she dressed like a man and she guzzled beer like a man. That's what Ooh. they said. But <laughs> they haven't seen me guzzle beer. So... <laughs> Yeah. Um, Honestly, the both of you. You guys impress me. <laughs> Beer guzzler. Oopsie. Or guzzling. But then Calamity Jane kind of, she's, she claimed that she and Wild Bill had a relationship, but I think everybody was else was just like, nah. He like tolerated her and did, thought, thought she was pretty annoying. So I don't know. She was a little obsessed with him, it seems. I would hate to be known as that. Like after, especially because Calamity Jane is such a cool name that to follow it by, yeah, she was kind of obsessed with Wild Bill. Yeah, like, ugh, I don't yeah. like that. Yeah, but that's also that same trope of like, y'all, she was crazy. Like, oh, that's you know? true. So that's who knows? true. We could be falling into that. Maybe Wild Bill was obsessed with her mm-hmm. and just convinced everyone the opposite. I bet that's yeah. what happened. <laughs> yeah, here we are rewriting history <laughs> here, guys. Uh, though I feel like this history is probably. Th- the best one to rewrite because it's highly inaccurate or just sort of like, I feel like part of the thing is like, yeah, there's some people who have been able to like find the actual facts of what happened, but like sort of the point of telling these stories about these people is that they're stories and it's like folklore, you know, kind of. So yeah, sure. We can do some fan fiction of wild Bill and calamity Jane or something. (laughs) Just find me on Wattpad. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So Mostly Wild Bill seemed to go to Deadwood, you know, search for gold with everybody else. But he was also there to gamble. That's the same thing. Searching for gold and gambling. right? Well, he wanted to literally play some cards and gamble, you know, sit at the table. But the thing is, you know, I guess he kind of his clairvoyance really did, you know, because he had written that letter to his wife. Uh, you know, maybe it was true because, you know, he got off three weeks later into being a Deadwood. Um, so oh, here's what happened. No. It was August 2nd, 1876, and he was sitting down to play some cards and gamble at the Nuttall and Mann's Saloon. 
saloons were just like you know really hectic places with lots of like prostitution and whiskey and gambling and all sorts of tomfoolery happening. Oh, I know. <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, and Wild Bill. What do you know? I don't know. I'm just agreeing with you. <laughs> oh, okay. To have fun. Okay, keep saloon. going, Gabby. We're having fun. <laughs> so Wild Bill rolled up on a game with this guy named Captain Macy, um, who is a Missouri River pilot, a guy named Charlie Rich, and Cool Man, who was one of the owners of the establishment. Stop. Yeah, that was cool, his man. cool man. Cool okay. Yeah, cool man. AKA really uncool man. Yeah. Or child man. He cool probably forced dude. everyone to call him that. Ooh, I want to be called Neat Dude. That will be my name. <laughs> neat. <laughs> neat dude. Uh, yeah, that's neat dude down yonder. Yeah. And then when Wild Bill rolled up on the game, um, one of the people was sitting in the seat he liked to sit in because he, you know, he didn't usually like having his back to the saloon door. I am the same way. I hate having my back to the door. Yeah. Why? You know, if someone's going to shoot you, you want to see it, you know, yeah. look into their eyes. Taylor, do you get into a lot of shootouts or? No, no. Okay. That. No. What? Why was that even a question? <laughs> no, because look, people be shooting people these days. And That's true. I That's scary. really hate that. I like to just like, I don't want any surprises, basically. Okay. Yeah. You know? Yeah. If, yeah, if someone's going to shoot, you want to see them in their eyes. No, it's not even just that. Like, you if your ex comes in, you need to know so that you can hide under the table or whatever. You know, you just need to know what's happening. Okay. Yeah. I don't, I'm trying to think of when I go into a place, like, I feel like I just look at the pretty decor and, like, enjoy myself. But, you know, everyone's different. I I do have to sit, I have to sit facing the door. I can't, I have Mm -hmm. to be sat a particular way. Anyway, Gabby, keep going. We're loving this story. No, I'm glad we're learning about your neuroses. You Maybe you're the the wild Bill reincarnate. Because, Taylor, I wanted to put this in the story, but I didn't because it wasn't relevant. But he had a horse that he loved named Black Nell. And he fucking loved this horse. And he was like heartbroken for the rest of his life after this horse died in like 69. (laughs) I understand. Yeah. But it was like, also, you might not like this though, with this horse, he had this trick where the horse would like come into the saloons and would like stand on top of like the tables and would drink whiskey. (laughs) You know, well, maybe the horse was having fun. Yeah. I mean, I here on Cadaver Gals, we would like to say, please do not give your horse whiskey. Yeah. But yeah. Wild Bill's horse? Maybe. Black now. Well, anyway. Taylor, that was a long time ago. We didn't yeah, know. Yeah, that's true. We didn't know that whiskey was bad <laughs> for you back then. Yeah. <laughs> that's when like, that's when we were shooting people for funsies. Unlike today when we'd still do that. Yeah. No. <laughs> uh, but our guns are better now. <laughs> okay. Um, we're yes. having fun. Black yeah. now. Cool dude, Black Nell. Well, not Black Nell, but yes, neat dude. Oh no, neat dude was just our idea. That's, okay, yeah. cool. Uh, okay, so <laughs> we're getting we're getting there. Yeah, but so Wild Bill, he didn't protest. You know, the seat change. He was just like, fine, I'll sit with my back to the door. Oh no, a fatal mistake, maybe. But done, done, done. His clairvoyance wasn't going to help him now because <laughs> a surprise is about to happen. So the game was going on for about three hours. And at 4 p.m., a man comes through the saloon doors. He comes right up to the table where Wild Bill is sitting, puts a revolver two inches from his head, and bang, shoots Wild Bill right in the back of the head. No. Why? Uh... Well, here's some fun details because in that book that I had earlier mentioned, the author wrote, the bullet entered the base of the brain, tore through the head, and made its exit at the right cheek between the upper and lower jaw bones, breaking off several teeth and carrying away a large piece of the cerebellum through the wound. 
i.e. his brains leaked out and got all over the place. That's very gory. Yeah. Wild Bill was dead. He collapsed to the ground. Uh, The bullet also went through his head and got Captain Massey's hand, or Macy's hand. So the dude that shot him was this guy named John McCall. And after he shot Bill, several witnesses said that he yelled, Take that! And then he skedaddled out of the saloon, but less than an hour later was like, Hey, here I am, guys. Um... There's a bit of a hubbub, and John agreed to, or even suggested, that he go on trial for shooting Wild Bill. He seems a little he unstable. He wanted the fame. Yeah. Like, yeah. He was like, hey, guys, I did something bad. Ooh, are you going to get me? And then no one really cared because it was a Wild West. And he was like, well, well, here I am. Come get me. <laughs> Come get me. Oh, no. Anyway, so remember that Deadwood was not in a legal U.S. jurisdiction, so there was literally no laws that they had to be beholden to. So it was kind of like basically the only code that the jurors or whoever was going to do the trial had to like, I mean, basically it's just sort of like your own personal morals. Do you think this is bad to shoot people or not? Let exactly. Us know. <laughs> They started the trial the next day. There was 95 dudes who were called to submit their names as jurors. 12 were selected. The trial was in a local saloon theater. The witnesses were presented, and they all made it very clear. They're like, yes, I saw this man shoot Wild Bill in the head with a revolver. Then he said, take that, and then skedaddled. It was very obvious that he killed Wild Bill. There was uh, no denying that. But then John McCall pulled out of his back pocket. He was like, he takes the stand, and he's like, yo, Bill, I killed him, yas, but I did it because I was avenging the death of my brother. Uh, Basically, he was saying that Wild Bill, a few years back, had killed his brother, a.k.a. Wow. wow, it's totally justified for him to kill Wild Bill. And that was actually what most of the jury members said. Okay. (laughs) They're like, we agree, totally justified that you killed Wild Bill out of revenge. So they let him go. But then, you know, obviously a lot of the people in Deadwood were like, "Mm -hmm, you fucking bitch, because, you know, Wild Bill was a cool dude. You know, people, not a cool man, a cool dude. And people liked him. They loved him. Yeah. And they're just like, you killed him. And he was awesome. That was so fucking rude of you. So then John McCall, he, you know, left Deadwood very quickly. Um, But the thing is, he kept going around to like different towns near in the still like South Dakota area and just like talking about like, oh, yeah, I killed Wild Bill. (laughs) I did it. (laughs) But meanwhile, they do. They they bury Wild Bill in Deadwood. They have a very extravagant ceremony. Calamity Jane is obviously very distraught. Yeah. 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 A few months pass. John McCall is still running his mouth talking about how he killed Wild Bill. And then it's revealed that he's like, I didn't even have a brother, dudes. I just (gasps) made that up. What a liar. Yeah, he just did it. I mean, they think they did it because one time he he would like often gamble or like play cards with Wild Bill and Wild Bill just like beat him a lot and like got (gasps) all this money. And apparently there's this humiliating moment where basically Wild Bill like had gotten all his money through the game and then gave him some money back so he could buy dinner, which, you know, is a nice thing to do. But for John, that was like really embarrassing. Yeah. Okay, Wild Bill was genuinely just a nice guy. Did he kill some people? Yeah. But honestly, not even enough to be considered like reckless or dangerous. So he killed the right amount of people. Yeah. So really, he shouldn't have died. And I'm sad. Please tell me this John guy was killed or something. 
Well, he also died in like, it was such a pussy bitch way to kill somebody. Like while their back was to the door in the back of their head. Especially then because they would have gunfights. They were big on honor, etc. Yeah. And even though Wild Bill was like notably the best person at gunfighting and John would have been out. Not, I mean, it's just like it was a pussy ass bitch move to do, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, like if you want real honor, like you should have done it in a gunfight. OK. Anyway, so. Oh, or a mud fight, you know, <laughs> or a mud sweaty, fight. <laughs> a white sweaty male t-shirt. bodies. Yep. Jowling. A white, a white. Oh, tunic. Wow. That's what you're into. OK. Mud fight. Taylor said, oh, knights clinging in armor, <laughs> jousting. <laughs> they had horses. <laughs> That's true. OK, continue. So John McCall, he eventually made it to this very funny town in South Dakota called Yank Town. Right. <laughs> uh, which sort of within the year of him killing Wild Bill, it became a territory under the United States and a United States court was established. And because he had been running his mouth so much, they then arrested John McCall for murder. <laughs> and he was tried again. But this time... He was sentenced and they were like, nah, you did it and you didn't have a brother. And also that's not a reason to kill somebody. Um, And then he was hanged in 1877 in Yanktown. Hanging in Yanktown. Hanged in Yanktown. (laughs) I literally, I mean, this is just, I think your portrayal is exactly how it went. Like, they're like, no, 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 that was messed up. Okay, now we're going to arrest you. Like, now you're going to die. Absolutely. You did Like, it just seems so casual. Now you're getting yanked in Yanktown. Yanked you know? in Yanktown. <laughs> but yeah, so, you know, it's sad that they lost Wild Bill. I think he was 39 when he died, but his life had a lot of things happen in it. And, you know, people, like, his friends were still sad about it. And three years after his death, they, you know, did the thing where they exhumed his body. They moved it to a better spot. Calamity Jane continued to visit him. And in, like, 1900, she, like, hired a photographer which was like a big thing, you know, to have a photographer in like oh, South yeah. Dakota to take a picture of her with his grave. Um, and then when she died, kind of as like, I think this was in the book I was talking about, they portrayed it as like a practical joke on Wild Bill, like from his friends that they buried Calamity Jane next to Wild Bill so that she could rest beside him for eternity. But they were saying this was the playing the ultimate joke on Wild Bill because, you know, he didn't oh, like her. Oh my <laughs> goodness. But really, though... We rewrote history already, remember? So he's secretly happy about it. And she's annoyed. Or maybe they're just both happy. There you go. Or maybe No, it's cadaver gals. The both of them can't be happy. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. So we'll say that Calamity Jane is very unhappy because, you know, she wanted to be buried further away. I don't know. She wanted to be buried further away. I found the picture of her with his with his tomb. She, you know. Uh, you know, she looks very, um, jovial in that picture. Okay. Yeah. Calamity Jane. Um, and I think in that picture, they sort of talk about how she didn't have any money. And you'll notice that in that photograph that her clothes are being held together by like safety pens or like pens, basically. You know, I think it would have been so much cheaper back then if they would have just embraced sluttiness because then it would have been less clothing to buy. But, um, alas, I think they you did. know. Just ankles were a problem. I don't know. She is. She's very covered up here. But maybe that's just me being gross. But also within sluttiness, I feel like, you know, there's still like many layers of clothes 
which I think could make sluttiness more fun because it's really building the tension between, Ooh. you know, having some clothes on to having no clothes on. And if you have lots of little clothes on, then that can be more fun. You well, know? That's clothes. actually true. You know, sometimes sluttiness isn't wearing no clothes, you know, sometimes it's wearing them in a strategic way. Strategic sluts. <laughs> well, okay. On that yes. note, we'll be right back. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. It's just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut, and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. In the recent history of documentary filmmaking, one scene stands out above all. The hot mic bathroom confession of Robert Durst in The Jinx. Now the person responsible for that moment, Sereb Kaufman, stepson of the victim, friend of the murderer, star of the documentary, for the first time ever, shares why he believes you're watching the furthest thing from the truth on this exclusive episode of Murder Homes. Listen to Murder Homes on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am, like I am, where it is. This isn't going to work. I I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Welcome back. We were just talking about crazed cowboys shooting people and whatnot. And I'm just going to keep that general merriment going. Oh, yeah. Um, Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Taylor. So Wild Bill, we were just talking about him. He hung out with a quite the murderer named John Wesley Harden, a.k.a. Little Arkansas. Mm. And he, too, has been depicted in a number of TV shows and westerns and whatnot. Well, this dude, this dude was a little bit different than Wild Bill. He was on the Confederate side. Yucky. Oh. So we don't like him. Mm-hmm. He hated everyone in the Union except Old Bill, which we'll get back to how they met and when they became friends. So spoiler alert, at some point, Harden goes to jail where he wrote an autobiography. So a lot of this information comes from his writings. So not only was he a murderer, but we established this earlier. These people were also fibbers and liars. So keep this in mind because there was a lot of nonsense that he did. And this is kind of coming from him. So I think we could all, you know, make our lives more exciting. It's your own perception, you know. I mean, though, he seemed like he was a violent murderer. So maybe we shouldn't give him any. um, Yeah. You but know, I like the gist of, the of that, Gabby. Romanticize your life, you yeah, know? Yeah, just like, like be deluded by your own life, guys. Make it more exciting. I mean, if that's the way to go through life, I cheese to that, mate. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. It started at the age of nine for him when he tried to run away to join the Confederate Army. And his dad was like, no, like he found out that he was trying to do that. And he was like, no, don't do that. That's ridiculous. So he was like, okay, fine, I'll stay. So when he was 10... He stabbed his first victim. Um, <gasps> what? Yep. Okay, wait. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That just like quick. They you didn't know, die. Quick change. Yeah. Oh, okay. They didn't well, die. So they, they lived. But, you know, he was like still had that thirst, right? So his first murder was at the age of 15. He got into a fight with someone, left to go get a gun, came back, shot him. So he was just like. He liked murdering. He knew it from a young age. So fast forward, Hardin goes on a killing spree. He kills a bunch of Union soldiers. Mind you, this is post-Civil War, so after that. And he said that the people that he killed, quote, needed to be killed. Oh, no. And also, side note, when he wasn't murdering people, he was a Sunday school teacher. <laughs> oh Fun my goodness fact. if that what? doesn't just paint a perfect picture i don't know what does a perfect picture of a serial killer who loves jesus, jesus. yep so i'll just go through some of the people that he killed and why and whatnot one of the most famous of the ones that he killed was he killed him because he was snoring in the next room and he didn't like that so you know snoring's annoying so he was like okay i'm gonna kill you Mm, right. As you were mentioning, Gabby, there was a lot of card games going on and gambling. He killed a couple of people over some card games. So Hardin was like moving around with this lady and the boyfriend. That's sex. Mm-hmm, this boyfriend caught him. So he was like, oh, I guess I'll kill him now, too. So then at one point, he also kills a bunch of lawmen. So he's like, mm, I've done some really bad stuff. So I'm going to go on the run. So that is when he meets Wild Bill. So in 1871, Hardin meets Wild Bill at this bar in Kansas called the Bull's Head Tavern. Bill was the town marshal. And so the bar owners, they were like advertising their bar with this. They had this painting on the outside. And it was a bull with a giant erection. 
And, oh. a, and a lot of the citizens were like, mm, that's too much. We don't like that. And so they're like, Bill, can you do something about it? And so he like tried to get the bar owners to fix it and they wouldn't do it. They're like, no, this is great advertising. And he was and Bill was like, no. So Bill was like, I'll just fix it myself. And so he painted it and fixed it. People are always trying to censor art. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Well, he was an art censor, Wild Bill. Wild Bill. So conservative. Yeah. So Hardin was a regular at this bar, and the owners were mad at Bill for painting over the bull. So they were, like, talking to Hardin, trying to get him to kill Bill. But Hardin was like, no, Wild Bill is a good dude, and, like, I respect him, so I'm not going to kill him. And, quote, if Bill needs killing, why don't you just kill him yourself? So Wild Bill, like, almost got killed. I mean, that's true, though. That makes sense. Like, you know, if you're complaining so much about someone, you're like, just you do it, lazy yeah, bar them. owners. Yeah, kill them exactly. Also, just paint over the paint. Like, uh, you know, there's different ways to fix this. Yeah, I guess he just thought it was really good advertisement of bull with an erection. Anyway. So- yeah, I don't know whose side I'm on in this, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's confusing. It's hard. Just like the bull's dick. Yep. So remember... Hardin was, he was on the run, and Wild Bill was a marshal, so he had to use a pseudonym. So he was referred to as Clemens, or really Little Arkansas is, I think, what he was referred to by Wild Bill. The The way that they met, though, was, so he, they were at that bar, and Hardin had some, had, was open carrying, which you're not supposed to do. And so he, so Wild Bill was like, hey, dude, like, give me, give me your guns. Like, you're not supposed to have those. And so he goes, okay. And he holds up his guns, like, butt first to hand them over. And as Wild Bill goes to grab them, he does a little ring-a-dang-ding and slings them around and points the guns in his face. And so... And what happened? So then, nothing. He was like, ha-ha, jokes, jokes, jokes. You can have them, Uh. whatever. It's fine. So... Apparently, Bill was like, that was really impressive. I'm quite the gunslinger myself. So, like, I'm really impressed by you. But, again, this is coming from Hardin's autobiography that he wrote, you know. So, do we really think Bill did that? We don't know. Because, like, it seems kind of weird that Bill would want to hang out with him after he was just embarrassed in front of all these people at the bar. But I digress. That's just funny that he's like... Cool trick, dude. I'm a gunslinger, too. Like, Yeah, so he's like, exactly. So anyway, they begin hanging out. They go drinking. They play, you know, they're gambling together, chasing women together, um, all of those fun things that one does. With your buds. With your buds. But um, eventually, Harden, you know, he's on the run, so he leaves. He, he stops hanging out with Wild Bill, and he's like, goes and starts killing more people. And eventually Hardin's like, oh, I've like, I've killed a lot of lawmen. So, you know, I might, I think I'm probably going to get caught. So I might as well turn myself in. So hmm. he goes to jail, but then he needs to be transferred to this other jail at some point. And so he was like, mm, you know what? I don't like jail. Jail's not fun. So he kills the two people that were transferring him, gets on their horse and then like runs away. He's on the loose again. So then he tries to kind of like settle down. He gets married. He has three kids. He's raising cattle. Things seem to be calming down, but then he was like, no, I'm, like, still a murderer, and I like killing people. It sounds like he was just looking for purpose, you know? Like, I think he would have thrived in our day and age, you know, because you have more career options. But back then, (laughs) 
you know, career options were very limited. And I guess he didn't like raising cattle. But he didn't remember, like being in jail. People, the people he killed needed to be killed, he said. So he thought he was yeah. doing like the Lord's work, I guess. Mm-hmm. Him and Columbus, lots mm-hmm. in common. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I shouldn't be defending him because he was problematic as fuck. So no, he was awful. So he eventually he gets caught in Florida, gets transferred back to Texas, and he's only charged with one murder, which was for Deputy Sheriff Webb, and is sentenced to only 25 years. And then while he was in jail, that's when he wrote his autobiography. And then after 16 years, he was pardoned and released from prison. Pardoned, hardened. Is he roaming our streets now? <laughs> so, As a skeleton. So... No. So what happens is he's he's back out in the world and I bet you guess what he what he does is he gets into more arguments and more fights with people where eventually he meets his end and he too dies. By whom? By who? Uh I don't I don't I didn't write down his name. There were so many. Oh, but names. like it's some but it it's like some like a gun, gun fight. fight. It was a gunfight. Oh, okay. So you mentioned that Gabby, that Bill claimed to have killed over 100 people, but then really it was only six or something. Is that right? Mm-hmm. So Hardin only claimed to have killed over 40, but they were able to account for like 26 of those murders or 26 people. So he's killed at least 26 people, but claimed to have killed like 40. So mm. he was quite the gunslinger. What? Quite the dude. He was a jerk. We hate him. He's canceled. I like Wild Bill more. At what age? At what age did this guy die? He was like he must have been in like his fifties at that point. I think so. It's like grow up, dude. Like you had your little wild moment. You got pardoned from jail, and you're just gonna go. You know what? That's the cyclical nature of trauma. He had some problems, and honestly, it's just a cycle repeating itself. And I worry about his children. What do his children do? Where are they now? You know, it's They're just dead. Yeah. Well, okay. Most okay. likely, unless they're oh. amazing. And then same <laughs> same deal. So they they uh, now there there's been back and forth um, suits about where his body should be. So they were like, "Hey, let's dig him up." And then I think he's in El Paso, and they were like, "Oh, like his ancestors, or whatever." Were like, "Oh, we want him somewhere else." And they were like, "No, this is a really great tourist attraction." Well, that, we can all only hope that one day we become a tourist attraction. <laughs> Literally our bodies. Oh, wait. That's a good. That's a, actually a good segue into my story. I was just Ooh. about to say, oh, speaking wow. of treasures, Nika. Oh, because his body was a treasure buried. But don't dig that one up. Don't uh, dig that one no. up. Ah, ha, 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 ha. Yes. I do have a story about treasure and about avoiding tourist attractions, I actually, rather than becoming one. So, you know, super great transition. Okay, here we go. Uh, Taylor, do you want me to do my story? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I like, I need to feel like I'm needed by you guys or else I will shrivel and die. Nika, so, I just, I cannot wait. I am so unbelievably oh. excited to hear your story. I'm so excited. <clears throat> oh, thank too. you. Okay, thank you. Eep. Okay, so we are traveling to the Rocky Mountains. Yes, that massive mountain range in the United States that has geysers and lakes and great hiking and treasure? Question mark. Great opening statement by Nika. Okay, that's oh. right. Yes, we are going on a treasure hunt. So, woot, let's, woot. Yes, so let's meet this man. 
His name was Forrest Fenn, and he was this eccentric, kind of quirky art dealer who made a lot of money selling Native American artifacts and other sculptures, paintings, etc. Now, I don't have to remind y'all how problematic that is, um, Mm -hmm. because obviously the Native American artifacts were not technically his, but, you know, we already know that, so let's keep it moving. So he was this rich millionaire. He had his gallery, actually many galleries that were called Fen Galleries. And then in 1988, he was diagnosed with cancer. And at that point, he was around, he was in his 70s. And um, his doctors were like, this is probably terminal. And so he's like, I have to think about my life. I have to think about my legacy. You know, really serious, deep questions going on in his brain. And the first thing that he thinks is, okay, clearly... This means I need to bury a 12th century bronze box filled with 22 pounds of literal treasure, like gold coins and jewelry and gemstones and that sort of thing. That's exactly um, what I would do if yeah, I had Yeah, obviously. Natural, natural inclination. I mean, of course. And the treasure was valued at around $2 million. So he, he decides to do this and then d- doesn't bury it just yet. He focuses on recovery and actually ends up getting better. So he recovered from his illness and he publishes a memoir titled The Thrill of the Chase in 2010. And that same year, he hides his treasure and then leaves clues in his memoir. And there is a, throughout the memoir entirely, there's like clues and it also talks about his life and it just helps you get into his head. But there's a specific poem with nine sentences that supposedly will guide anyone to the treasure. Do we get to hear it? Oh, yeah. I can actually. I'll do it now. Okay. Here we go. Are y'all ready? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As I have gone alone in there, and with my treasures bold, I can keep my secret where, and hint of riches new and old. Begin at where warm waters halt, and take it in the canyon down, not far, but too far to walk, put in below the home of brown. From there, it's no place for the meek, the end is ever drawing nigh. There'll be no paddle up your creek, just heavy loads and water high. If you've been wise and found the blaze, look quickly down your quest to cease. But tarry scant with marvel gaze, just take the chest and go in peace. So why is it that I must go and leave my trove for all to seek? The answer I already know. I've done it tired and now I'm weak. So hear me all and listen good. Your effort will be worth the cold. If you are brave and in the wood, I give you title to the gold. I know where it is. <laughs> where? I just, I'm not going to tell you. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, anyway, if we were in an island, just the three of us, I feel like Gabby would eat us. Anyway. What? No, she just wouldn't. Say. Yes, she would. Okay. So we were on an island once together. We were. And you and, both got eaten, but we, you don't know where I ate you. <laughs> oh my God. Does Creepy. that explain the weird scar on my back? Okay. Maybe. So, so he, you know, this poem, um, ha- obviously super cryptic, weird hints, like begin it where warm waters halt, like what? And it becomes a literal international sensation. How the fuck did 350,000 people actively try to look for this treasure with these cryptic-ass clues? I don't know. But they did. People became obsessed. Like, 
one man was so maddened by the hunt that he actually broke into Forrest Fenn's house and started hauling away a Spanish treasure chest that he thought was the chest, like the actual chest from the poem. But in reality, it was just one of Forrest's many ancient chests that he collected because, again, this man was very rich. And um, the man who broke in was held at gunpoint and arrested. So people, you know, became very obsessive about it and some even died. Oh, no. Also, that's dumb if you broke into his house because, like, why would you put the treasure in your own house? Also, it sounds like there's, like, rivers yeah, and it sounds like there's water forestry, involved. you know? I feel like there's not... It's not going to be inside someone's house. Uh, Well, in the, like, in the poem, it said, yes, of course, there's the waters, but then also in the memoir, it said the treasure is buried somewhere in the mountains north of Santa Fe. So a lot of people thought it was in the Rocky Mountains. Um, And people just became obsessed with it. And apparently one of the reasons why Forrest did this, other than, you know, legacy and that whole thing, is that he wanted to give people hope after the 2008, you know, financial crisis, which (laughs) I don't, like, I don't think that's a very nice thing to do, to bury two million worth of treasure somewhere in mountains and share it with a very desperate population and we all know how lovingly americans can be about things you know some can get kind of obsessive and and that's exactly what happened so some people sold their life savings and moved you know out west to find the treasure and some people you know just became super obsessed with it and got divorced and they just like ruined their families and they never found it so and then, yeah, as I already said, some people died. How did they die? Well, let's... Oh, okay, so this is, this is like one example. In 2016, this 55-year-old man named Randy was found dead in New Mexico's like backwoods area after he literally packed up and moved out west to look for this treasure. And so the last time that his family heard of him, he had gotten a raft and had set sail in the Rio Grande. And he was convinced that he knew where this treasure was hidden because, again waters i guess people thought it would be somewhere in a river and he was on his way to like this rocky part of the river near bandelier national monument which is this national park in new mexico and he was just convinced it wasn't like that weird like rocky kind of isolated space and so he went with his little white dog and then he was not heard from for about a week and so then his ex-wife filed a missing persons report and his body was found literally months later so they, like they couldn't determine the cause of death because it was it was like skeletal remains basically um, oh no did they yeah. find his dog oh, no. um i don't i actually don't know it didn't say what happened to his dog i'm gonna cry anyway obviously his family was super upset and they asked Forrest to end the treasure hunt because people were you know becoming kind of crazy about it but Forrest said it wouldn't be fair to all the people who have worked so hard looking for the treasure yeah Yeah. the crazy thing is you could just like you know maybe if you actually wanted to help people you could just you know donate money to people crazy Mm -hmm. and then another person this guy was a pastor paris wallace he was this man from grand junction new mexico and he was found dead 50 miles north of santa fe in the waters of the rio grande again and it seems like he had bought a rope and was trying to like pass through the water safely but the rope tore and he died. And then another person, and five people total died. I'm just giving you like three. So another person, Eric Ashby, this 31-year-old who moved to Colorado to search for the treasure, was found drowned in the Arkansas River in Colorado. And what's even worse about this case is that he was with three other people who were also hunting for the treasure. And it seems like they were friends and they were rafting. 
and then the raft overturned and no one ever found Eric, the, the man who died. And this bystander actually reported it, but his friends never did until like 10 days later. And mm. apparently they were, quote unquote, afraid to come forward, which like, what? Like that's an that's a rafting accident. Like why would you be afraid to come forward? I, th- I think that they were thinking that they were very close to the treasure. They didn't want to, you know, like, Reveal where the treasure was. Yeah. Like, you know. I, I have no idea. And then a lot of people kind of subscribed to the conspiracy theory that his friends actually found the treasure and cut him out of the loot, which, yeah, would kind of make sense. But the treasure was actually found, finally, in 2020. Ooh. Mm. Who found mm-hmm. the treasure? An ex-BuzzFeed writer. That's who. Actually, that's kind of reductive. That's reductive. But we'll get we'll get into that. So his name, a listicle author, (laughs) literally a listicle author. Yeah. So his name is Jack Stewart, and he went to Georgetown. He became a writer. He's a white man. He was kind of problematic as a writer. Apparently, like he made this fake expose against a famous internet cartoonist that the cartoonist called him out for, and that basically made Jack leave. BuzzFeed. And then also before his BuzzFeed gig, he made very offensive comments about Sarah Palin's son and his disabilities. He like called her son the R word, which is not okay. And so people kind of canceled him and that made him stop writing. So in 2018, he's like, doesn't know what to do with his life. He's directionless. So, you know, like any white man, he decides to go to medical school. And around the time that this happened, he heard about Fenn's treasure. And so he became a bit obsessed with it. And he kind of devoured every interview with Fenn, every book Fenn has ever written. And of course, the cryptic poem. And he didn't like medical school. Like he did not like medicine at all. So he was just kind of doing it because he didn't know what else to do with his life and then became, as I said, very into this treasure. Yeah, when I get bored of medical school, I go looking for buried treasure as well. Right? Mm-hmm. Well, apparently he like didn't really tell his friends or family about it because he didn't want to sound crazy. But so he started looking for it in 2018. And apparently he found the space where the treasure was in 2018. He figured out where in the Rockies it was. And then he spent a combined 25 days over two years searching in that area. And then in June 6th, 2020, he found the treasure. And it was in in uh, a part of the Rocky Mountains in Wyoming. So he found it and cried and laughed and just like, he's, he explains that he just felt profound relief. And then he immediately drove to Santa Fe to meet with Forrest. And they opened the treasure together and they bonded or whatever. And he asked him a bunch of questions. And um, and yeah, he met, he says that the treasure hunt was basically made for an English major because, and this is a quote, it's based on a close read of text. I mean, that's what it is. It's having the correct interpretation of a poem. I understood him by reading his words and listening to him talk over and over and over again and seeking out anything I could get my hands on that told me who he was. So what he did was really get into Forrest's head and that's how he found the treasure. And the treasure is his. So he says he'll probably sell it at some point. And re- he refuses to share exactly where it is because he doesn't want, want it to become like a big tourist attraction. He said it's a very special place for Forrest. It's where Forrest wanted to die. So like it's very intimate and personal. And he just wants to honor Forrest's legacy like that because Forrest actually died around September 2020. So. Oh. Yeah. And, but, you know, How the treasure was, was found. He was 90. I was about to say, he was, he was yeah, he, was up he, there. he lived a long life. Yep. Um, so, yeah, the treasure was found by, you know, another white man. I don't know. That didn't really surprise me. 
and he'll probably sell it eventually because he says he has student loans. So, oh, and then he says he will probably get into the stock market instead of go to continue medical okay. school. Oh, good. Good for him. Good, good, good. Good for him. I don't think I want him. What a happy story, everyone won who deserved to. Except for the five people who died and the hundreds of, I don't, I don't even know, probably thousands of people who are very upset that he found it. Like I was on this um, like Reddit thread and they were like, hey, Jack, like give us a piece of the pie. We spent so much time working on it. And I went through blogs and there were these all of these blogs trying to decode the poem and use, I don't know, just all of these kinds of tricks to try to like find where the poem was and people feel very entitled to the treasure. So I mean, so many hours have been wasted. Yeah, honestly, I, yeah, I cannot. Also, like, I feel like that's very a very dangerous thing to do because, again, people would be crazy and, like, you hit it somewhere in the Rockies. And apparently it wasn't in a very dangerous spot. Like, it wasn't inside of a river or in some weird cave. He explains, like, it was in this big field and he just had to spend, he spent 25 days, you know, searching in the field. But it wasn't, like, I don't know, he had to raft through the Rio Grande, which is what a lot of people thought they would have to happen so well maybe some people at least got to go rafting and that was a fun activity yeah unless you die unless you died unless you die all right well thank you nika when we come back we will talk more about treasure i'm scott weinberger journalist and former deputy sheriff in my new podcast series cold-blooded the Apollo Jim murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpert. It's just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut, and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. In the recent history of documentary filmmaking, one scene stands out above all. The hot mic bathroom confession of Robert Durst in the Jinx. Now the person responsible for that moment, Sereb Kaufman, stepson of the victim, friend of the murderer, star of the documentary, for the first time ever, shares why he believes you're watching the furthest thing from the truth on this exclusive episode of Murder Homes. Listen to Murder Homes on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am like I am where it is. This isn't going to work. I I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. 
I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back, all you cadaver pals. We're going to talk more about treasure hunting. Treasure. Um, Yeah. So, I don't need a treasure hunt because I already have two treasures, Taylor and Nika. <gasps> oh, I thought you were going to sell you for millions of dollars. Oh, huh. do what? you guys think I would go for millions of dollars? Really? Um, <laughs> yeah. Maybe a mil. <laughs> okay. If well, you sell fine. us for millions of dollars, do we at least get some of the money? N- no. Oh, you're we like sound those like entitled the better people hunters. who think you yeah. get part of my loot, <laughs> which you are my loot. Which being your loot, yeah, okay. Being your loot, okay. Anyway. <laughs> Ooh, some pirate play. Ooh, <laughs> Nika, okay. more ideas for role Sorry. play. Okay, yeah, exactly. Pirate are play. you serious? No, that was bad. <laughs> okay. Sorry, okay. Taylor. Okay, you talk about it. Shut down. Let's hear it. Let's hear it. Okay, so you know, like, like I was at I was at the beach a couple of weeks ago. There's always that one goober that's got the uh, metal detector and looking for stuff. And they'll find like coins or jewelry that people have lost on the beach. But, you know, it's really rarely worth a lot. Hey, sometimes it's the experience, not what you actually, you know, get at the end of the treasure hunt. That's by Miley Cyrus. That's what she said. Oh, thank you, Miley. So it's going to be another man. Yeah. (laughs) It's always going to be another treasure hunt, (laughs) and there's always going to be, you're going to look like a fucking nerd, but yeah. Okay, anyways. Okay, a goober. Goober. So only 1.7% of findings are a coinky dink. So usually they're like, it's based on some sort of like studies or like, like all this research by all of these archaeologists and whatnot. So, but anyway, so in 2009, there was this metal detecting enthusiast named Terry Herbert, and he went into a field owned by farmer friend Fred Johnson near Staffordshire in England. Oh, Herbert's metal detector starts beeps and boops, and so Herbert gets out his little shovel and starts looking for his treasure. And then he sees this little piece of gold, and it appeared to have like this inscription on it. it looks like it was like part of a shield. So he's like, oh, I'm calling up a team of archaeologists like this seems like a big deal. 
So archaeologists come, they dig up 14,000 pieces of treasure that are now referred to as the Anglo-Saxon treasure from 6th and 7th century. What? Yeah. That's a lot of treasure. Yeah. What? That's so much. What? Did he get to keep some for himself? So this is, so no. This is like the largest (laughs) collection of Anglo-Saxon treasure ever found. And I believe like the largest found in Europe. The the treasure was mostly war materials from like weapons. And like the coolest thing was like the high status helmet, which, you know, that's like the classic. It's like a gold helmet and it has those like red bristles on top. Oh, Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. So the treasure was found to be worth like 3.3 million pounds, which seems like not a lot to me. But the guys did get like a million dollars that they were able to kind of, you know, for finding it or whatever. The farmer and and the metal detector guy? Yes. And so... Oh, good. Okay, good. So they ended up getting like a million dollars, but like, you know, there's kind of arguments over like it was my land and like he's like, but I found it and blah, 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 the whole thing. But yeah, so this was like this this huge collection so i saw this and like it kind of got me thinking like what do you do if you find treasure like what do you you know like what do you do so don't tell people and you just have it for yourself and then you can just you know sell it you sound like you sound like like that mean dragon from the lord of the rings like smart what is his name smorgas smorgasborg smog (laughs) what is his name smog smog Smog, yeah (laughs) so smorg i like that better which was board yep okay so in the u.s there are different laws by state and the archaeological resources protection act of 1979 says that any archaeological resources found on the land of the state belongs to the government Ugh. uh-huh that's okay and so yeah. but then there's also this really confusing thing of like defining treasure like what is treasure um so in those guidelines the object must be at least 300 years old uh, must be substantially made of gold or silver, have been deliberately concealed by the owner with a view to later recover. The owner or his or her present heirs or successors must be unknown, is one of at least two coins in the same find and has precious metal content of at least 10%. And if the precious metal content is less than 10% of at least 10 coins in the same find. Really confusing stuff. So like... It has to have all of those. It has to go through all of those checkpoints, basically. Yes, but that is only if this particular state goes by that rule, I, th- I think. So, because there are, because it's by state, right? So, generally speaking, speaking though, like 100 years is kind of like the general line. Even though this says 300, like a lot of places are like 100 years is, is old enough. Or in some instances, like in Iowa, it can be as young as 35 years old. So, you got it. I am almost a treasure. <gasps> oh, oh, my God. We should Taylor. bury you. I am almost. Oh, no. <laughs> what? Oh, Don't bury sorry. Taylor. Taylor is a treasure. Oh. So, I was really excited about that. because <laughs> <laughs> Oh, good. I'm almost old enough to be a treasure, but not old enough to be a treasure yet. So, I'm still mm. young. Yeah. yeah. I think that's a good a new barometer for age is like how yeah. old are you before you become a treasure? Yeah, I love that. That's actually great. <laughs> yeah, I was I really liked that. So 
But really, it's just kind of like up to the state to decide. And I kind of get the general sense of like, you're screwed. Because like, right, if you find treasure, there's going to be people coming looking for you trying to take your treasures. Or you're giving it to the state and then you don't get anything out of it. Or maybe you do get something out of it. But again, then you have money and then people are after you. This is obviously – this is in the U.S., correct? Yes. So like depending on the treasure, you might get a finder's fee or something. But if you Mm -hmm. don't turn it in, you could go to jail. And then if you find something that is not a treasure, you still have to turn it into the police and it would be treated as it like as evidence would. Like if For I find what? a buried Polly Pocket doll, I have to turn it into the police. I mean, that wouldn't be like half considered a treasure. I'm like going with something that would be unique and weird like a knife or yeah like a buried gun yeah or a gun (laughs) i actually i wouldn't be surprised if i found a buried gun in my backyard or or like a knife or something okay we all live in georgia and in georgia though they have a finder's keepers rule that applies so as long as it's legally obtained aka like you're not trespassing it's yours So I'm going to dig out my entire backyard. I know, right? So unless you like live in Georgia or, you know, one of the states where there's a finder's keeper law, doesn't seem to be worth it to me to go looking for treasure. But absolutely. Did you ever see that documentary called Finder's Keepers? No. It is so good. Everybody watch it right now. I think it's still on Netflix. I will. I will. It's about this guy who he gets a grill from a like a, a yard sale or something. And when he gets it home, he opens it up and there's a foot in there. And he, <laughs> and he's like, oh, y'all, I got me a foot. Like, what in the heck? And then this other guy's like, oh, shoot, there's my foot. I've been looking for my foot. And he's like, no, nah, man, it's finders keepers. I want to keep this foot. And he's like, no, but it's fine. <laughs> what? It's a really what? silly, silly, silly. Um, Why did the man have a foot in a grill? It, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> you, I can't remember. You'll have to watch the documentary. It's, it is excellent. I mean, where else are you going to put your foot, Nika? <laughs> I know, right? So, I guess. so all kinds of like lawsuits went down um, for that. So that's hilarious. Um, I I don't actually remember the results, so we'll, I'll have to watch it. again. No, no, no. And yeah, I don't want to we'll, spoil we'll it for you. It. Yeah, don't spoil it. Mm-mm. Anyway, oh, so that is kind of the tea. If you find treasure, although the chances of you finding treasure are like pretty low, I would say so. Yeah, but I am I am really surprised that this guy found finally found the Fen treasure because people were starting to think it just didn't exist. Yeah, but well, there he is. He found it. Well, you know, unless you just really enjoy, as Miley Cyrus says, the climb. Uh, just like <laughs> don't waste your time. Anyway, so I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. I know I did. I found out that I'm almost a treasure, so I'm really excited about that. Special times. This Hashtag is very special. Almost a treasure. Taylor, when will you actually be a treasure so I can get you a treasure cake? Three years. Okay, perfect. I hope I, I hope it's actually two and then. a half. Okay, <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm making a mental note. Okay, mental note. All right. Until next week, all you could have are pals. Cadaver gals. Cadaver Gals is a production of School of Humans and iHeartRadio. It is hosted, produced, and mixed, and researched, and all of the crazy things by Gabby Watts, Nika Duarte, and Taylor Church. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Cadaver Gals. Ah. 
I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series called Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold Blooded, The Apollo Gym Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 